Well, please turn with me back to uh, Genesis chapter 48, 47 and 48. And uh, we're on Remembrance Sunday. We're, we're, we're um, <coughs> picking up this story that we've been following in Genesis. And uh, we come to the end of a man's life. Jacob is coming to face the end of his life. And so the title of uh, this message this morning is Prepared to Die. Question mark. Are you prepared to die? Um, surely of all Sundays... Remembrance Sunday is a Sunday to think about that question because we remember so many people who have died in the past. Death is a reality for us all, whether we're in the armed forces or not. We remember those who were willing to lay down their lives for uh, us as a nation in the past. Um, but we have to think about it ourselves. Are we ready to die? About four years ago, that gentleman there on the screen, Shabazz Bhatti, was uh, the Pakistani government's minority affairs minister. He was the only Christian in that government. He'd been campaigning uh, against Pakistan's blasphemy laws and he knew how risky that was to do that. He was standing up for minorities, for non-Muslims in Pakistan. A few days before, uh, he called the BBC correspondent. Uh, they say there's a terrorist plot to assassinate me. They've told me to be careful, but didn't tell me anything else. And the next day, Mr. Batty was murdered in his car. He must have suspected that this might happen because he'd left a video message. And this is what he says in his message. I want to share that I believe in Jesus Christ who has given his life for us. I know the meaning of the cross. As a Christian, I believe Jesus is my strength. He has given me power and wisdom and motivation to serve suffering humanity. I follow the principles of my conscience and I am ready to die and sacrifice my life for the principles I believe. In his own words, Shabazz Bhatti was ready to die. My question is, are you? Are you prepared? Now, it's not a question you may want to think about this morning but you must admit that it's a relevant question young people mustn't think that it's not a question for them you are old enough to die middle-aged people are mortal too there are no guarantees that you're going to reach retirement and elderly people mustn't ignore this question because the day of your death is coming we all know in our heads that it's a fact. But are we ready to face it in our hearts? How can you be ready? Well, Christianity is the only message that gives you the answer. It tells us that death is an enemy. 
None of us were made to die. But it's an enemy we can't defeat. It tells us that death is a consequence of our rebellion against God. But it tells us that Jesus Christ came into the world to conquer that enemy, to die on the cross as a sacrifice so that we can know peace with God and we can face death with hope and with victory because Jesus Christ conquered death. And the message of the Bible has been given to us so that we can be prepared. So this morning I want us to listen to an old man who is facing the reality of his death and to learn from him. You need to catch up on the story. Remember that the Israelites have ended up in Egypt. I think there's a map on the screen. So they've come from Canaan to Egypt and they've begun to prosper there. All thanks to Joseph. So Jacob and his family, 70 in all, have come. All thanks to Joseph, they begin to prosper and increase in number. This Jacob was 130 when he arrived, and now he's 147. So he spent 17 years in Egypt, incidentally the same age that Joseph was when he headed for Egypt in the first place. So this man is 147. His father had been 180 his grandfather, 175, when they died. And I want us to try and show how this small story fits in with the big story of the Bible about faith in Jesus. And I want us to show that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, your future is secure, your inheritance is real, and all these blessings are by God's grace. So firstly, your future is secure, so worship God. At the end of chapter 47, Jacob is very keen to obtain Joseph's promise that he will not be buried in Egypt, but be buried with his fathers, with Abraham and with Isaac in Canaan. See that in verse 30. Now, why does he ask Joseph? To get this promise. Why doesn't he ask any of his other brothers. Other sons rather. Because he realizes surely. That the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord has raised Joseph up. The Lord is. Is blessing upon Joseph. And he has the power. To do this. To fulfill this promise. Notice what he asks. Joseph for. Show me he says kindness. And faithfulness promise me that you will show me kindness and faithfulness those are the characteristics of God show them to me don't bury me in Egypt when I rest with my fathers carry me out bury me where they are buried I'll do as you say says Joseph no he says swear to me I want a solemn promise from you and Joseph swears to him and what does Israel do he worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Why does he worship? Well, I think it's because he realizes that the Lord's promise to him 
is going to be fulfilled. His future is secure in that sense. That's why he worships. That promise God had given him, I will surely bring you up out of Egypt. That promise is going to be fulfilled in Joseph. And you can imagine him saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for Joseph. Thank you that he is the one who's going to ensure that this promise is fulfilled. And that's why he worships the Lord. Thank you for Joseph. Security leads to worship. Now, when you think about it, there are not many things in life that are certain or secure. However much money we want to spend, uh, however many plans we want to make, there's not really many things that are secure in this life. We have a saying, don't we, in English, uh, the game's never over until the final whistle. The sporting analogy. A few seasons ago, we see it in sport. A few seasons ago, Arsenal were, were beating Newcastle 4-0 at half-time. And the Arsenal fans were rejoicing. Of course they were. There's, there's no way back for Newcastle. And it was the same 20 minutes to go. But within those last 20 minutes, Newcastle scored four, more, four goals. And they even had a chance of a winner. The game's never over till the final whistle. Arsenal fans especially can't be sure of the result. Maybe if you can identify that with your team. Can't be sure of the result until the, until the final whistle. Now in the Bible's big story, things are different. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I can be secure. We can be sure of what's going to happen. We can be sure of the result before God blows the final whistle on our lives. Jesus, you see, is greater than Joseph. This little story of Joseph and Jacob links with the greater Joseph, Jesus himself, who is full of grace and truth. Those same words, kindness and faithfulness. Verse 29, Jesus, full of grace and truth, because he's come from God the Father. And we can worship him today, even as we face the prospect of death. And we can say, thank you, God, that my future is safe because of Jesus. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, perhaps it's best to listen to what Paul says in the New Testament. Listen to how he is confident as he faces his death. He's writing from prison. He knows that he's going to die. And he writes to Timothy about Jesus who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, a preacher, he says. That's why I'm suffering, but I'm not ashamed. Why? Why aren't you ashamed, Paul? Because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul is, Paul is convinced. He's secure. He's committed his his body and his soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Just as Jacob committed his body, his bones, if you like, to Joseph. Paul commits his, 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 his very self, his body and his soul. He's committed them to Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not ashamed. I know he's able to guard those things until that great day. He knows that when he dies, he's going to be with the Lord. And he knows that on that day, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, his body will be raised and be like Jesus' body. And so he can rejoice. Now that's surely a relevance for us. Today, your circumstances may be hard or painful. You may have sickness. You may face struggles of various kinds. You cannot be sure of the twists and turns of life in this world. But you can still rejoice. You can still worship God. Because of his promise. If you've committed your very soul to the Lord. He promises to keep you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. He says. So we can worship God. Paul says the Lord will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Your future is secure in Jesus Christ. So worship him. The next thing we notice is this. Your inheritance is real. So trust God. Your inheritance is real. So trust him. The first 11 verses of chapter 48, Joseph is told, your father is ill. And so he brings his two sons uh, to, uh, to, to Jacob, his father, Manasseh and Ephraim. And you can imagine the old man is told, Jacob's an old man, your, your son is here with his sons and he kind of musters up the strength to sit up in bed to see them. And Jacob, he's, getting, he's obviously at the end of his life and he wants to, he wants to pass on some of his, his experiences to Joseph. And he tells him about what happened years and years and years ago when he was running away. He was a, a young man fleeing from his brother Esau. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz or at Bethel. And there he blessed me. I'm going to make you fruitful. I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants. He's, he's telling him the story of his experience. Now Jacob has seen part of that, um, that promise come true, hasn't he? Because he's seen his own family become, become fruitful and prosperous in the land of Egypt. But he doesn't allow that to, for, to forget or to blind him from the truth that there is a bigger promise. There's the promise of this land, this promised land of Canaan. And he's confident that God is going to come up with that promise as well. How do you know? Well, it's interesting. He takes these two sons of Joseph and he kind of, kind of adopts them, doesn't he, into his family. 
your two sons born to you in Egypt, verse 5, your two sons will be reckoned as mine. Just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Why? Well, so that they will inherit the territory of land. They will inherit part of that promised land. Now, we're not quite sure why he does this. But he does reminisce about Rachel, his, uh, his wife who died, who was the Joseph's mother. And uh, he di she died not far from what we would know as Bethlehem. And he buried her there. Maybe he'd hoped for more sons with Rachel. But that didn't happen. So now perhaps he's adopting his grandsons, Rachel's grandsons, into into his family, as it were, as his sons. And when he asks, whose sons are these, in verse 10, it's a reminder of how old Jacob is. He's an old man, can hardly see. And he takes them on his knees, and he embraces them. I never expected to see your face again, he says to Joseph. And now, God has allowed me to see your children too. So Jacob faces death, trusting in the Lord's promise. He's conscious of God's promise, a real inheritance. He's not exactly sure how it's all going to happen. He doesn't exactly know how God is going to take them from Egypt to Canaan. He doesn't know, but he believes the promise that God has given him. The New Testament says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. He trusted God's promise to be real. Now that's what faith is, isn't it? Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is believing the promise of the gospel. It's trusting him. It's not trust, it's not a feeling, is it, faith? It is, it is con it's committing yourself to the promise of God. And not all promises are true. Not all promises are worth that kind of trust. There's an American football team in, in San Francisco called the 49ers. And I've often thought and wondered, why are they called the 49ers? Well, it's all stems back to uh, the gold rush in 1849. The 1840s, they discovered gold in, uh, in California. And the message went out across, across America. There was this opportunity to get rich. And so young men on the east coast of America said to their wives, listen, it's worth it. It's worth making this hard journey across so many thousands of miles across to California or sailing around the, the bottom of South America and coming up again. It's worth it. This hardship, if we can get these riches. And so many people left their families and traveled to California a long way from home. And in 1848 and early 49, everyone was making money. But the party didn't last. And many people who got there 
found that the bubble had burst. There was no riches to be found. The 49ers, they're called, because they left home in 49, searching for riches that didn't last. And they returned, many of them dejected and disappointed. And some people never returned at all. The dream, the promise never came true. But we are offered a promise that's real. We are offered the promise that's true. A promise of an inheritance. At the same time, all around us, we are promised all kinds of other riches, aren't we? Every day for satisfaction. Buy this car. Win this prize. Wear these clothes. Book this holiday. Earn this salary. But nothing satisfies and nothing lasts. But in the Bible's big story, we are given a promise of something that lasts, an inheritance, riches, if you like, that lasts, that God promises. Listen to Jesus. Very interesting to listen to him. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Interesting, when Jesus talks about heaven, he, he doesn't mean a kind of floaty place in clouds, eating yogurt or drinking coffee or something like that. It's never like that when Jesus talks about heaven in fact he uses other words to help us understand listen he says this no one who has left wife or home or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life interesting isn't it Jesus interchanges heaven with this phrase the age to come there's an age to come. That's solid. Because it's the kingdom of God. The new creation. That's solid. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Says Jesus. And so it's right to be thankful, isn't it? We, are, we had harvest the other week. And we were thanking God for his temporal blessings. We are right to thank him. But the Bible warns us, don't put your faith in those things. Don't put your faith in riches that are so uncertain. The material things of this world are going to pass by. That car you're so proud of at the moment. You know, in 10 years' time, you look back and you say, oh, dear me. Give me something new. Riches don't last. They cannot satisfy but the gospel reminds us and declares to us of an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's what Peter says. 
kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Now the challenge I think that comes to us is this, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we believe Jesus when he speaks about the riches of the age to come? Or is this material age in which we live choking us? Are we obsessed by them? And if so, we will have no hope when it comes to our death. We will be like those 49ers when it comes to our death. We have no hope. Everything is behind us. Nothing is ahead. Jesus says you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. So trust God, the Bible says. The big story is this. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your inheritance in him is real. You say, well, this isn't very practical. I've got this week to live by. Give me something for this week. Well, let me tell you this. If you understand this, if you've got this sorted, if you know that your inheritance, a lasting inheritance is, is in the next life, in the age to come, then you are set free to live this life as you should, to live this week as you should, to live generously and fruitfully and purposefully. You get that sorted, then it's very practical for day-to-day -day living. And you're able to face death, hopefully, and even joyfully. Trust God, your inheritance is real. And then lastly, the text tells us your blessings are given by His grace. So glorify God. You notice we have the detail, as Gordon read it, of, his, of Joseph bringing his two sons to Jacob to, be, to bless them. And because the old man, you know, he can't see very well, so Joseph helps him. He puts uh, the eldest son, Manasseh, on his Jacob's... Jacob's right side. So he's supposed to put his right hand on the eldest son. Yes. And Manasseh is there. Or rather the other way around. Joseph removed, uh, verse 12, them from his knees, bowed down with his face to the ground. Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right, towards Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left, towards Israel's right, and brought them close. So Manasseh is the eldest. Joseph has made it easy for him. Just put your hand there, Dad, on his head. He's the oldest. He should get the blessing, the chief blessing. Poor Dad, he can't see, can he? Poor Jacob. But what does Jacob do? He crosses his hands. He puts his right hand on Ephraim's head. Verse 14. Though he was the younger, and he crossed his arms, and he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And Jacob blesses them, 
And look at verse 17. Joseph saw his father doing this. And he was displeased. He took hold of his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's to Manasseh's head. Joseph said, no, father, this one is the firstborn. You, you've got it wrong, dad. Put your right hand on his head. You've got it wrong. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. I know what I'm doing. Now, what's all that about? Well, Joseph, Jacob has been thinking. He's coming to the end of his life. And as people often do, they think over their lives. And I wonder if he's thinking about the time when he, as the younger brother, wanted to steal the blessing from his father because his older brother Esau was the one who deserved it. And he tried, he, he kind of uh, schemed with his mum to, to get the blessing of, of Isaac, his father. Jacob, was a, as a young man, was a twisted kind of person. He was a deceiver. That's what his, that's what his name means. And I think he's, 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 he's remembering all that. What a terrible boy I was trying to deceive my father. Um, and then he realizes that actually God, God has blessed him by his grace. He hasn't blessed him because of who he is. God has blessed him. Look at his family. I never thought I'd see your face again, he says. And now I'm seeing you and I'm seeing I'm seeing all my family and these, these children as well. Look at verses 15 and 16, how he blesses them. May the God before whom my fathers Abram and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. You see, there's no... There's no hint there of, uh, haven't I been good? Haven't I been wonderful? Haven't I managed uh, to bring things about well at the end of my life? He's acknowledging God's grace to him as a twisted person. And I think that's what's being reflected here. Is that when it comes to God and his blessings... They come by grace, not by right. So the eldest, you see that the culture expected, well, the eldest should have the blessing because he's the eldest. But when it comes to God's blessing, it comes by grace alone. Nobody deserves. And if Jacob wants to bless the younger, then he can. God's grace had come to him as the younger brother as well. It's a reminder that God's blessings to us, the blessings of forgiveness and of salvation and of eternal life and this age to come, it's all by God's grace. It's not deserved. We don't deserve it. And when you realize that, it bowls you over. There was an interesting story in the Rugby World Cup. I don't know if you saw the story in the news the all blacks had won they beat the australians and they're parading the trophy around the stadium and one young fan breaks through the security men and nearly he gets flattened a bit but he wants to get to see the fact that the players and he wants to get through 
And Sonny Bill Williams, one of the all-black rugby players, a huge guy, picks up this waif of a teenager, 14-year-old. He picks him up, having been flattened by the security guard. And he, and he kind of helps, share, helps him share in the celebration. Then he takes him back to his parents and he takes off his winner's medal and he puts it around the neck of this boy. And uh, the press have a field day. They've never seen anything like this before. It was something that uh, was amazing. It was amazing. What a, what a gift. This lad hadn't done any of the tackling, had he? Sonny Bill Williams had the bruises and the scars, but he gives the medal to this lad. And they're overwhelmed by that. Now in the Bible's big story, you know, the Bible's big story is even better than that. I mean, what if the lad had been an Australian fan who wanted to get through the uh, security to punch wouldn't be a wise thing, I know. But to punch the all-black players because he hated them, because he was a, an Australian fan. Do you think Sonny Bill Williams would have done that? Would have given him the medal? Not at all. If they had, that would have been amazing, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what the gospel is. God giving us what we don't deserve because we were his enemies. And God giving us eternal life by his grace at the expense of his son. What does the Bible say? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we didn't want to love him. It's as if God takes the medal of the Lord Jesus Christ who deserved his love and glory and he shares it, he gives it to us when we trust in him. And when we realize what God has done for us, well, there's no room for boasting then, is there? We, we, we want to glorify him. At the end of Paul's life, he, he, he's writing to Timothy and he, he's trying to get this across to Timothy. I have fought the good fight, he says. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Sounds a bit like boasting, you might say to me. It sounds a bit like boasting, but it's not. Paul is saying, listen, listen, Timothy, if God has helped me to, get to, to run the race, to get to the end of life, if God has helped me to keep the faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, it's all been down to him, his grace. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you too. I have fought the good fight. And that's how we can prepare for death. Coming back to that opening question. How do you prepare to die? To face God? Well, it's not by looking back and saying, well, have I been good enough? How, how has my performance been? You'll not find anything good in there, anything to comfort you then. My only hope is that God has shown me grace in Jesus Christ, his undeserved favor and love. 
And it's this grace that caused me to repent and believe as a child. This grace that caused me to trust in Jesus Christ. It's this grace that's pardoned me and protected me and preserved me through all kinds of trials and temptations and foolishness. And it's his grace that has kept me believing up to now. And it's this grace that will keep me to glory. And all the blessings I've received from God are by his grace alone, through Jesus Christ, by trusting in him. So there's no room for boasting. And that's true for every Christian. Everyone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ. So Jacob says, I am about to die, but God will be with you. And in the big story, the Christian can say, I am about to die, but God will be with me. And that's how you prepare for death. Have faith in Jesus Christ, the greater Joseph, who laid down his life for you. Worship God. Your future is secure. Trust God. Your inheritance is real. Glorify God. Your blessings are all by his grace. Amen.